and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. Have you ever dreamed of becoming an interior designer? You don't want to go back to university, you don't want to work for a large firm, but you just don't know how to get started. You want flexibility, you want to pursue your passion, and you want to make income. Well, you should definitely check out the Uploft Interior Design Academy. It's my proprietary program that I've used internally for years and have made available to the public. Not only do you get video modules that you can take at your own pace, but you also get one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions with me, group coaching sessions with our Facebook group of Academy students, and so much more. If you're interested, Get more information and sign up for an exploratory call with me at affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. It's time to start living the life of your dreams. You don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Hellman. Hi, everybody. So glad to have you back for part two of Interior Design Trends 2023. I have lots of thoughts and feelings about the rest of this list, including some of my own additions. So I'm really excited to take you through. And without further ado, let's dive in. One of the trends from the list, then by the list, I mean things that are featured on apartment therapy, blogs, um, better homes and gardens. I basically aggregated from several different sites to come up with a list of trends that I was seeing repeated over and over through these different platforms. Uh, so the one thing that I'm seeing is reds, dark reds, russet reds that have a hint of orange, burgundies, sumptuous deep reds. 
I love red. There are some designers who feel like every room needs a splash of red. It's just like lipstick. No outfit is complete without it. Those of you who've read my book or have been longtime listeners know that that is not how I feel about red, but it is how I feel about a different color. If you're intrigued to know which one, you won't want to miss my book. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com classes to order your signed copy of my book today. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. All right. Well, I like deep reds, but I think they're dangerous in terms of wall paint. Deep burgundies, deep russets can be very difficult to paint effectively because you need multiple coats or paint with a very expensive good base. The other issue with deep reds is it is a color that has connotations of passion but also of anger. It is said to increase heart rate and to incite anger in some people. So you want to be very careful with intense reds because it's a very intense color. I would prefer that if you're going to lean into this trend, you do it in small doses whether it's the upholstery on an armchair or whether it's the drapes instead of, say, the wall paint uh, or something small like even pillows. It is not something I'd be indulging in terms of big doses due to the reasons I mentioned above before, before this time. Let me get into a trend that I'm really upset about. I'm angry about this trend. I'm having personal issues with this trend and it's been ongoing for years, but it's really coming to a head right now. This trend is velvet. Velvet is everywhere. Velvet is ubiquitous. You can find it at every store. It's not just for the Hollywood glam or, you know, those really over the top looks anymore. Now velvet is at every store for almost every type of item, be it an ottoman, be it a full sofa or sectional, be it a settee or even just a bench. Now, the thing I love about velvet is it's a really nice, soft texture. It's also available at a wide variety of price points, so it's not something so luxurious that you can't touch it. Speaking of touching it, the thing I don't like about velvet is it's often very directional. So when I rub my hand along it one way, I can clearly see a mark that's left. And of course, when I rub it a different way, there's a different type of mark. It also tends to collect pet hair. So if you have pets like I do, it can really attract cat hair, lint balls, etc., It's typically pretty easy to wipe off, but it tends to be just one flat tone as well, which is pretty rough for camouflaging stains if it's, say, on a footstool or an armchair. The thing that's making me upset about velvet these days is anytime I want to buy a colorful piece of upholstered furniture, be it that bench that I mentioned earlier or a small love seat or an armchair, Every time when I'm shopping online, if I want something blue, if I want something yellow, if I want something green, the only fabric that it's available in is velvet. And velvet is such an interesting textile. I mean, you can tell from across the room if something is velvet. 
that I don't like to repeat it in a room. I like one piece to be velvet and the rest to be other types of fabrics, be they chenilles, twills, microfiber, pleather, leather. It's just one moment in time and it's got such a big presence that I don't want multiple pieces. But sometimes I do want multiple colorful pieces in my room. So for instance, in my very long living room, which is 20 deep by over 40 feet wide, I want two small loveseat type sofas. I want a day bed. I want armchairs at the game table. I have all these desires and I want them all to be colorful because you know, personally, I go a little bit over the top. I love color. But when I'm Googling these items, even at higher end stores, the only in stock color options are velvet. And it really ruins the uniqueness of this textile to have multiple pieces be in the same fabric. Now, if I'm willing to wait, especially during these supply chain issues, you know, six to eight months, I can get it in a twill. I can get it in a performance fabric. I can get it in something different. But clicking and buying off the rack today, anything colorful is probably going to be velvet. Whether you're looking at West Elm, Tov Furniture, Ballard Designs, uh, all these different places, I am certainly up for the mix for my own home. Mix of price points, mix of stores. I am willing to find the right piece. The only thing I'm not willing to do is wait eight months. So that's been very disappointing, even as I'm shopping for interesting upholstered dining chairs. I've just come across anything I want in a color is going to be velvet, and I'm over it. I bought, at the beginning of my search, a velvet daybed that is like this tamarind yellow color that's kind of a deep yellow ochre with hints of orange, and it's a real statement piece in the room. But then when I went to buy colorful chairs for the gaming table, they were all going to be velvet. And I'm not doing that. I'm not devaluing my beautiful daybed by repeating the fabric over on the other side of the room. I'm just not going to do it. So I'm getting frustrated by how trendy velvet is and how I think that you know, these pieces are going to look fairly dated because of the high volume of velvet right now in just a few years. That's my two cents. One of the other trends that I'm on board with, but I think can be tricky, is decorated laundry rooms. So if you've seen Pinterest lately, if you've been scrolling through Instagram, you've been noticing that a lot of people are putting wallpaper in their laundry rooms. They're using really cool tile on the floors. They're having fun, playful backsplashes. They might even be putting a bright color on the ceiling or even wallpaper on the ceiling. Now, I think this is lots of fun especially if you have a sizable laundry room or a laundry room that's in a conspicuous space like near an entryway, right? Where I think it goes wrong is when your laundry room is too small or very utilitarian and the design elements that you're putting in there are actually going to look shabbier due to the sort of wear and tear that a laundry room gets. For instance, I have a laundry room that's in the middle of my upstairs hallway. It is very small. It's a glorified closet with a stackable washer dryer. And because it's so small, it gets a lot of abuse. People are constantly touching the walls with the laundry basket, with their hampers. You know, the door is slamming against the wall. 
And I would love to do wallpaper, but if I did one of the cute wallpapers I've done downstairs, it's really going to be a big miss because it's going to get messed up really quickly. In a place like a laundry room or even a bathroom that gets a lot of uh, wear, tear, water, scuffs, etc., you want to be using commercial grade wallpaper or vinyl wallpaper. And so many of these Pinterest boards I'm seeing are just using regular old wallpaper, and that is going to smear, tear, look really shabby in no time. I like the idea of doing playful tile because typically there's not a lot of tile in a laundry room, so it's just this really unique kind of moment. And tile is much more durable than wallpaper, so it can keep a licking and keep on looking great. Uh, and then I think the ceiling is an interesting treatment, especially if the ceiling is visible. In something so small like my laundry room upstairs, you never really see the ceiling. It's like being inside a closet. I mean, you're not really looking at the ceiling, but in those larger rooms, it could be an impactful statement that's then going to be out of harm's way in terms of the water splashing, etc. I'm on board. I think another great way to jazz up your laundry room is by putting interesting handles or knobs on the cabinetry. By making a little change like that, you can give it a total upgrade without spending a lot and without worrying that it's not going to be durable. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you want to see pictures of the spaces that our listeners send in? Do you want to see images of the recommendations I'm making? Would you like to see show notes and videos of my podcast recordings? Well, you're in luck. Thanks to the support of our premium members, we have now launched a YouTube channel, an Instagram page, a Facebook page, and of course, a show notes page that goes along with our podcast webpage. I am so excited to share this with you. You've been asking for years for transcripts, images, and we have it all and so much more. Go to affordableinteriordesign.com backslash links. That's affordableinteriordesign.com backslash L-I-N-K-S. There you'll see links to each one of those platforms. You can join, subscribe, and you won't miss a thing. Let's go to the next thing, which I am definitely noticing with my clients and even with my own personal journey with this house. Let me know if this resonates with you. But everyone is asking for rooms where they can entertain. You know, for the past three years, ever since COVID, people have sort of been in their shell. They've been designing for themselves because they're constantly there while they're working from home. They've been kind of just wanting to make the place their own and cozy and comfortable for their family since they're spending so much time there. But people weren't really stressing the entertaining. Now people are like, I want to start having barbecues. I want to start having weekday game nights. I want to start, you know, having those parties again, not just centered around the holidays. So I'm hearing more and more that people are using their formal dining room once or twice a month rather than once or twice a year. I'm hearing more and more that people want those big entertaining sectionals to watch the game or watch the TV shows. It's really inspiring and exciting. And it's getting me jazzed to decorate those formal areas and think about how I can create community, especially because we moved during this COVID time. So not only were we kind of isolated from our friends and family back then, 
But just as we're ready to come out of our shell, we're in a community where we don't know anyone. And so the onus is really on us to start inviting people over because nobody knows us and nobody's inviting us anywhere. Uh, This one really resonated with me. I'm excited for the possibility of entertaining and making sure that I'm designing around, you know, places where different people can congregate, where different people can sit in different configurations all at once. I've never been a huge party person per se. I love going, but don't love throwing them. But small gatherings of two or three other couples with maybe their kids is totally my jam. And it's been so long since we did that. Really long time. (laughs) I'm excited to dig back in. Now, those are the trends I wanted to highlight that I've been seeing out and about in my interior design hunt and travels. But I have some things that have been surprising me that I am really into right now as a tastemaker. And by tastemaker, I mean that my style influence and things I like seep into my client spaces because I recommend them as a tastemaker. I'm going to share these things in the hopes that they make a ripple and either impact you and what you're purchasing or, you know, our next year's trends. One of them is light fixtures with crystals. Now, guys, I have never been a Hollywood glam gal. I have never been an over-the-top girly girl. But as I was selecting all new light fixtures for my home, because as you may remember, the people who lived here before took all their furniture and they took the light fixtures. And I kind of knew about it from the contract, but I didn't realize what an impact it would have until we moved into our new house, turned on lights, and nothing came on. And this house is double the size of our previous house, and I had given a lot of things away that I didn't feel matched the style I wanted to lean into with this home. So I moved to our house with three lamps, and then we had no overhead light fixtures. We were stumbling in the dark for weeks. My family was really upset saying, Mom, we're afraid of the dark. Get us more lamps. So we were buying like flashlights and temporary things uh, just until we could make things work, just looking at raw light bulbs. And it was it was a struggle. But that all is to say that I had to buy a lot of light fixtures all at once. And I had to stop myself from making every light fixture one with crystals. For instance, in my cottage, I bought four wall sconces as well as a very big chandelier, and they all are dripping with crystals because it's my world in here and I'm the only one that I have to please. In the main house, I didn't do everything crystal, but I did have to like temper myself because I was going to go there. I just found myself gravitating towards these glass orbs. And I think my bedroom chandelier has like a hundred crystals. It's something ridiculous. So I'm just really into that. And I'm not seeing that go anywhere. I like the extra bit of sparkle. I like the extra bit of formality. I'm enjoying how they refract the light and in some cases serve as almost a lampshade without needing a fabric piece because the crystals are overlapping and so dense that I can't see the light bulb. And I got the LASIK surgery. So my eyes are very sensitive to exposed bulbs bulbs or harsh light. Oh, you can see my chandelier in my reflection back here. I'm going to be sharing photos of my home and my light fixtures once I'm feeling a little bit more um, 
ready to entertain not only people at my house, but you guys. At this time, I'm still feeling kind of bashful and insular because I'm not quite proud of how it looks right now. I'm proud of the pieces and the vision, but it's not all together. Darn supply chain. Let me move to the next thing, which I am really surprised by, but definitely excited for, which are collections. You've heard me say on previous episodes that I think collection is a naughty C word that allows you to amass a whole bunch of things that you don't really need. I think collections are problematic. I think they turn into another C word, which is clutter. But all of a sudden, I moved into a big house with a lot of shelving. I have not been collecting books because I prefer to read on a Kindle. I don't collect tchotchkes because I don't have any place to put them in my previous house, which was 2,200 square feet. And I just never have surrounded myself with much shelving because I didn't have need for it. This house had very expensive, well-done built-ins. And as you know, I've taken the built-ins from one room and moved them around to other rooms, but I really couldn't bear to throw them out. So I've been starting to collect things. My husband, his father's mother collected cranberry glass. Some of you may know cranberry glass. It's basically differently shaped glass bowls, vases, pitchers that all have kind of this cranberry colored hue. So we inherited five pieces of cranberry glass. And I was like, well, this could be a collection. It's not really my style. And I'm not really drawn to red, as you heard me say earlier, but we already have five pieces. Let's lean in. So I've been on those auction sites at flea markets buying cranberry glass, and I'm up to like 10 pieces now. Just little affordable things I find here and there. I bought a bell in Owego, New York, as I was traveling to Toronto for $10. I bought a bowl at a garage sale that's actually really cool, and now we use it to put our keys in for $4. Um... So it's fun having something to look for. It's fun having a reason to go to these shops and these sales. And it does bring in a little bit of history because most of these pieces are relatively old. Uh, And I'm just enjoying myself. I'm like giving myself a $15 limit on each piece. And let me see what I can find. I have so much shelving. Uh, The only problem is then I have to dust it. But we'll deal with that later. We'll deal with that later. The other thing I've been collecting are metal dollhouses. So my husband's mother had this really big mid-century modern ranch metal dollhouse from like the 50s or 60s, super fun with the furniture and the people, but it was just big and cumbersome in our house and then in my storefront because it's really large. I don't want my kids to play with it because the edges are very sharp and rusty, so I think you could probably get tetanus. And the little pieces are so cute and so antique that I don't want anything to happen to them. So I wasn't really playing with it. My kids weren't allowed to play with it. And then my husband's dad gifted us, or we inherited, or they're trying to get rid of, this little metal ranch, like a farmer's ranch. And it came with the cowboys and the butter churn and the cowgirls and the lassos. And it is so fun. And so these two things were just kicking around our old house and didn't really have any intention. 
I moved to this house. And again, we have all these built-in bookcases. And in my office back here, my cottage, the bookcases have these ledges. And on top, I'm lining it with old metal dollhouses. I just bought a barn online for $10 with a little silo. And at one of our local flea markets right here, I bought like uh, the Alamo, this little metal Alamo. Uh, So I'm having a lot of fun collecting tiny metal dollhouses. There we go. So know now, guys, that I apologize. I poo-pooed all your collections, and I am thinking better of it. Perhaps you have big homes that you need to fill. And when shelves are empty, well, they look empty. So we do have to put something on them, even if we don't have enough books to fully line them side to side. The next thing I am so excited about which is not something everyone can do, but I am very excited for art picture hangers and art wires. Now you might've seen this at say older museums like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where the artwork is not actually nailed into the wall. It's attached to either a wire or a chain that then fits up and hooks onto a picture rail. Now, when I saw this house that I moved into, I saw these picture rails and I've been seeing them for decades designing in New York City because there's a lot of pre-war apartments that have this interesting molding at the top that has a little lip where you could hook over that hook and then hang the wire to hang the artwork. I haven't always been drawn to this look because when I saw the house, they had a ton of artwork. The woman that lived there before was an artist, and so she was using a zillion art wires to hang lots of pieces, but it causes them to lean away from the wall a little bit. Well, when I moved into this house, I started nailing things in. But these walls are horsehair plaster. And so it was kind of an endeavor. And also I've been waiting to hang things because I need my handyman. I can't drill into horsehair plaster on my own and ensure that a 30-pound mirror is going to be well anchored. And you know, you've probably heard me say that I've had a hard time finding a good handyman around here. I've been bringing my handyman up from Westchester to come work for me up here, and that's difficult because he's not readily available due to the long commute, and it is more expensive. I'd rather just find someone locally. The other day, and by the other day, I mean right before Christmas Eve, we were going to be entertaining, and the handyman came, but he didn't have time to do any of the art, and I was devastated, like really more sad than I should have been. I wanted my space to have this really beautiful, complete look. And without the artwork, it just looked empty. No matter how many furniture pieces I had tried to amass, no matter what I did, it needed that personalized touch of our artwork. So I broke out those art wires and I told my husband, hold the ladder. We are going to try this. I didn't love the slight lean, so I had been resistant to it. But... I hung my first piece of art with this art wire, and it has forever changed my life. I love it because even though it leans away from the wall just a little bit at the top, you can easily move this art around. If it's not exactly centered, I just adjust the little hook. And if I want it to be a little bit higher, I just move it higher on the art wire. As an interior designer, this is liberating. I can change my art out whenever I want on my own without paying a handyman. It takes less than five minutes. I can stand back. If I ever feel like it's unlevel, I just raise it one little chink on the chain. It's been amazing. I recently had a handyman come over to do some other things, and I still had some pieces I needed to be hung. 
Hell no. I am not putting any more holes in these beautiful walls. Everything is going on an art wire. I am a total convert. Not everyone is going to have a picture rail. Not everyone is going to have the resources to, you know, have art wires in a bag that the previous homeowner left for them. But if you do, this is a phenomenal revelation. And I am so inspired to hang art, to change art. You know, before in my last place, I'd set it and forget it. It was such an ordeal getting the right anchors, getting the right hooks, getting the handyman to do it all for me because, you know, what if the big mirror falls? Not anymore. Wow. All right, guys. Well, those are the trends from my vantage point. I'd love to hear what you think are trends. I'd love to um, hear your questions, your comments, your feedback. As you know, you can always head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. There you can submit a question. You can let me know what trends you're seeing. You can just keep a conversation going because next week and the weeks thereafter, I will be going back to that Q&A format. I just wanted to depart a little bit at the beginning of this year to share all the new things I'm seeing and enjoying with you. Happy designing, everyone. Until next week, bye. Are you clamoring for even more interior design content, more tips, more pictures, more episodes? Well then, you'll want to become a premium member. For as little as $5.99 a month or for $29.99 for six months, you'll get access to not only our monthly bonus episode, you'll also get access to our complete archive of past bonus episodes. That's nearly 100 episodes of additional content. And you'll be supporting our podcast, not only helping to keep us on the air, but helping us to make really exciting changes like getting that YouTube channel, getting transcripts for our show, show notes, etc. We love our premium members and we'd love to have you be a part of it. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. On the right-hand side, you'll see the premium button. Just press it to get started today. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.